documentary Penrose so we're gonna let you lead although we love the way VJ takes a, a, she takes a mean fucking note okay right, <laughs> right. it's the it's the Capricorn to me creeping out <laughs> it's amazing we, we love we love a chart we love a notes <laughs> VJ is that girl that I would go to my homeboy and be like yo girlfriend smart as shit ask her to do my homework <laughs> <laughs> and I would have charged you the 20 bucks I was charging everybody else hey, it works it works I mean,
like what is with New York trying to like be the best at everything? Like that is I don't I don't I just don't know if that's true. Like I watched I watched a documentary a few times and I've heard things about New York, but like it's way other corrupt places like LA County, like like Cook County, like precinct. And then I'm just like it's five square miles. Like I mean I guess because the bodies are on top of each other. Like I don't. Well, <laughs> I think I think at the time I think what it was at the time is because. All right, so like like you said, Chris, take Cook County. Look at where you from. Look at where I'm from. We come from black populated, gang infested, crime infested cities. Yet at the same time, I know at my point, at the highest point ever that I can remember, Detroit only had 1.5 million people in it. I think what Chicago got like three, four million people in it, something like that. And when you look at New York, they like triple that. So I think if we go back to the 80s, you look at what was happening in any inner city where any black person was lived, the hood was being destroyed. So you look at, I, I feel like it was only that tough because don't get me wrong. Again, we from some of the craziest places, but when you got the 75th, that's strictly just East New York and Brooklyn, that don't count the, the other part of Brooklyn or out in Queens and this and this and that and that. So I feel like they had way too many people going through the same shit because remember the, one of the characters we meet, Chicky, which was Henry Guevara, he said, you start the night off with 200 calls, you know you're going into work with 200 calls. You knock off 10 of them and you think you're down to 190 and then you check the thing again and you at 230. He was like, because the shit just didn't stop. You know what I mean? So, and, and I think what it is too is that because of the way America set up, people like to idolize New York. It's easier to be like, yo, look at all this shit that happened in New York because you can go to Queens, to Harlem, to Brooklyn, to this. But if you're in Chicago, you got the west side and the south side. You're in Detroit, you got the east side and the west. You know what I mean? I feel like niggas idolize New York. Because like you say, L.A. County was crazy back then in the 80s too, so. Oh, yeah. But now, like you said, they did say that the 75th Precinct was one of the craziest precincts in New York. And by everybody's admission on this documentary, this makes uh, Michael Dowd the absolute most corrupt and craziest cop to ever come through New York in the <laughs> history of police officers. So again, this was the 70, 75th precinct. It was in East New York, Brooklyn, and it ran from Jamaica Ave down to Starrett City. Once this opens up, we meet, again, you meet, I'm just going to give you the main character so we can walk through this. You got Michael Dow, who this is about. You have Ken Urell, who ends up being his partner. You have Henry Guevara, who is Chicky, who is his partner before Kenya Rail. And you have a guy by the name of Walter. I forgot Walter's last name. While sitting in the... I feel like, I feel like his name Walter never have a last name. I've never, I've never met a Walter that was up to no type of good shit. <laughs> my uncle works My uncle works at H-E-B. His name is Walter. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, everybody. Let me find out he illegally selling the the selling the, the patties out the back of HGB wholesale. Let me find out. <laughs> it, hey, it's a it's a black it's a black market for patties. Shit. Selling the margarita mix out the back. Uh, uh see. Exactly. I have a dude that used to uh, come through the alleys and sell us McDonald's fries and fish fillets and shit. Was his name Walter? Nah, but it should have been. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I fucked with his vision. Who don't want uh, McDonald's fish fries at home? I'm not mad at him. Girl, my house was a safe man like McDonald's. Like <laughs> community service. That's all. It don't matter. He, he's, he's a Walter. He's a Walter in all of us, really. 
I think I think there is a Walter in all of us, especially when you get to find out who Walter is in this story. And right. one thing, and, and what he said at the end of that shit, I think everybody feels that way. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second. We uh, introduced to Michael Dial. He's sitting in this like congressional light hearing, and they ask him why you know why he was doing the things that he was doing at this point in time. It's the beginning of the, of the documentary, but this is also him ten years later after he's already been caught. And they ask him why he did what he did. And he, you know, he starts to telling the story and everything. And he says one thing that sticks out. He says, a good cop is a cop that stands behind a cop anytime something goes down, no matter what it is. And that's when we get into the documentary. When we first get into the documentary, we meet, meet Michael Dial. He talks about, he said he went into the police academy due to the fact that he had no direction in life. And that's what, you know, everybody was doing. He goes into the police academy he gets married. First two years in, he's a rookie cop. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to make sure he's making the right moves. But I mean, six hundred dollars a week is not really kick. Is is not really taking you to where you need to be. So, which I will interject right now that oh, honestly, public service should probably be paid more, and I think that would cut back on the amount of corruption and shit that we have because if you're Going to work and being paid the kind of pay that you should have for putting your life on the line as they are supposed to be or serving the community, quote unquote, however you want to look at that good cops, bad cops, whatever, then you would think you would pay these people more. <laughs> exactly. And that's actually it's what I was going to precinct, but, you know, here's here's this this revolver and your, you know, here's your service weapon and your ankle holster yeah. and good luck. And good luck, exactly. Six hundred dollars a week. Go, good luck. Like that's like that's like, wild. Six hundred dollars right. there, like nine hundred dollars. Like nigga, like what is that? Like that's nothing. It's still nothing, right? And I think honestly, through this whole thing, I honestly found myself not necessarily personally identifying with Michael, but totally understanding why he was doing what he was doing. And when you meet Michael again, his first partner is uh is Chicky, which is Henry Guevara. Before they get into the entire story of telling how deep he actually gets into this, it's almost as if this dude found the cheat code early because he's in the game. He's trying to be a good cop. And, you know, he finally realizes that, you know, it's it's, it's a shitty job. He even says that when they're in the academy, Eternal Affairs came in and told, told them all the things you should not do. And then when Eternal Affairs left, the teacher of the class would be like, look, you can do what the fuck they saying and be a, and, and, and live that life. Or you, or you can go out here and fucking for real be a cop and pretty much let them know off break. Getting over is, is the way to be a good cop. He fought that for two years and then eventually he gets tested. So Michael Dow ends up responding to a call. And when he responds to the call, the it's a, a, a young lady that says she needs to just get into her house and she just needs to grab her clothes and go. Her and her boyfriend been fighting. So he's like, it's all right, cool. Dispute. It's a domestic dispute. Right. So at this point, he's a seasoned enough cop to understand situations, but he's still not that crooked. He's probably stolen little shit by now, but this is what turns everything. He and Chicky arrive to the spot. The young lady rushes into the spot and rushes out immediately. And to him, he's like, even in a domestic dispute, you're going to go in there, you're going to cuss this nigga out, whatever. You're not just going to run in and run out like that. 
they going they go into the house and when they go into the house they find they say they find a trash bag taller than them with weed stems sticking out the back. <laughs> they handcuffed the dude, I want to say. Or I don't remember if they handcuffed him or not, but I do remember they searched the place. They found uh, so much money. They stashed money in their pockets, and they dipped. And at that point, they realized, like, yo, we can do this. And at that point, it fast forwards, and before he gets into, like, the full story, and the first thing they tell us is that Michael Dow... He purchased a condo in Myrtle Beach with the money he got from selling stolen drugs. So th- at this point, without giving us a full, long, lengthy thing, we know that Michael Dow went from doo 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 doo. I'm gonna try to take care of my wife to now I'm robbing drug dealers on the low, right? And getting it in. At this point, at this point in the documentary, what were y'all feelings on Dow? I, because at this point, and well, let me let me lead into this, and then we'll, I'm gonna ask y'all that question. Because right after all of this happens, the 77th pre, the 77th precinct ends up getting busted. What the 77th precinct was doing was the same thing that the 75th was doing, but they were stupid. One of the cops at the 77th precinct happened to be in internal affairs. His brother happened to be a firefighter, and so they, he calls his brother. The firefighter calls the internal affairs cop, and he goes, "Hey." What's going on at the 77th precinct? He's like, what are you talking about? He says, all your cops are coming down here and they're borrowing the 28 foot ladders. Like, why do you? Why do cops need 28 foot ladders? These <laughs> cops were off duty and taking these ladders and breaking into dope dealer spots and robbing people and beating up people and whatever the fuck. So this leads the 77th to getting busted. The 70, everybody knew that a scandal was going to come through the 75th. So everybody at that time who was shitty left, which one of those people, well, I ain't going to say shitty, corrupt, left. One of those people happened to be Chicky, which was Mike's partner. Mike decides to say, fuck that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bite this bullet. We're going to see how this is going to run. At this point, how do you feel about Michael Dow? Before I get into how I feel about Michael... I want to get into these these fucking ladder rentals. What at what point? Why don't you just okay? So you borrow it the first time, right? Cool, and you go fucking do your fucking Donkey Kong like style fucking like like robberies, and then don't you just go buy one with the stolen money so that you can stop renting the police ladder? Like right, no. right. Right, real shit. That was the part that confused me. And then he said they were borrowing like the axes too. So you're yeah, like real shit. leaving That's with a hatchet and a ladder three times a week, and they're just like, 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 bro, are what you, are you doing? Are you the first, first borrowing of the ladder? You should have had money to buy your own ladder. And they right. never once thought, damn, maybe we should. The heat, they, everybody, you know, it's a lad. They borrowing ladders five times a week. Maybe we should, you know, just go to Home Depot, buy a ladder, and we could just be. You niggas is not saving that many kittens, is what I'm trying to say. Like, well, right, right, New York on top right. of that. So, I mean, how many times is that lie about needing to cut down some branches on the tree in your yard working? Exactly. <laughs> how many yards what, you got? Like, damn. That's what I was about to say. You're not coming to my house and borrowing my lawnmower three times that week. Nigga, I, so I, would ask a question. I have some questions for you. Like, bro, I bro, like are you using my lawnmower <laughs> to go mow other people's lawns for money? Like, that's exactly. my immediate question. <laughs> <laughs> like something, something's up here, nigga. Your mama lawn is not that big, and you don't like your sister. Give me my shit. Right, something I need some answers. I need some answers. Like, 
But um, I mean, at this point, I, in all honesty, and I don't know if it was like in the way that the, the documentary is filmed, but I just felt like Michael didn't really give being a good cop a good enough chance. <laughs> <laughs> see, and, that, and see, that's kind of what I got from it, too, because they were saying he really didn't have any direction. And he just was like, well, whichever whichever place had a spot first is where I went. So I think it's one of those things right. where Michael was already was, which we hear later in the documentary when they're talking to one of the, the drug dealers he gets mixed up with, which we'll get into. But the guy flat out says Michael had that, that air about him, that persona that about yep. him. He could exactly. smell it on him. Michael, Michael been a crook. Michael, yep. <laughs> Michael been dowed. So <laughs> like there's that. Ben. So there was not, it wasn't going to ever matter how long he gave being a good cop. Whatever Michael had in him was there before Michael became a cop. So Michael was going to be running check fraud or he was going to be fucking stealing drugs from drug dealers. Like it, it wasn't going to matter what job. Michael could have been the accountant. He was going to be cooking the fucking books to buy that goddamn condo. It wouldn't have Look, that's what I was about to say. That nigga could have been the manager at Mattress Warehouse and we all was getting pillow tops for the low. <laughs> it it would have been some sort of scam. It would not have mattered what job he had. Now, I'm curious, had the fire department called first if he would have been set renting the right. hatches and the ladders out for cash. 77 precinct. Maybe he could have gave them some game. Like, look, maybe you niggas shouldn't be renting from us like this. But let me talk to you. Yeah, he's like, but I can sell you some, <laughs> and we can Michael, just say they got lost in a fire. <laughs> Michael Dow would have been setting fires on purpose if he was a firefighter. I mean, he would he would have found some way to still be hooked up with the same gangsters he ended up hooking up with, but on the murder side instead of the money side. Like, arson fraud, arson and insurance fraud. That would have been his racket. He would have been a firefighter, and he would have been setting fires to shit to collect half the insurance money. All over New York. Exactly. <laughs> all the burrows. <laughs> That's all I got from that. Michael, Michael was doing what, what Michael wanted to do and it wasn't going to matter. That's what yeah, I you know what, though? You know what, though? I, you say what, Chris? I just said it didn't, it wouldn't have really mattered the profession he landed in, is what I'm saying. Like. Now, I also don't, don't think the profession would have mattered, but I'm going to be real. Let's look at, to, to put it on like lameness terms for everybody to understand, let's look at the Lakers versus, I'll even say my home team, the Detroit Pistons. Whose concession stand has a harder day? The Lakers or the Pistons? The Lakers, right? Because niggas want to go see the Lakers. You buying more. Your, your janitor staff working harder. Your fucking, everybody's working harder than if you work for the Pistons right now because the Pistons not doing good. Right. My point being is, as a cop, you're dealing with way more calls than as a firefighter. So mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I don't know if the pay scale was the same. Because let's just say if you work for the Lakers or the Pistons, your pay scale the same. I'm looking at you niggas like you niggas ain't even selling out a, a crowd. Right. I got to deal with all of this. And we get the same money. Of course I'm taking these chips to my kids. Of course I'm I'm selling these motherfucking flat ass beers on the low that you told me <laughs> away two hours ago. You fuck right I am. 
But well, yeah, so and I mean, I, cer- I certainly think that there's something to be said for this idea of hazard pay, right? Because we're going through that now with people that are essential workers. They right. are out there in the line of whatever, and they don't want to pay them more money. Even if it's a dollar or two, they're like, nah, you still going to make whatever you're making. Don't matter if everybody coughing on you and trying to stick <laughs> behind the barrier and won't wear their mask and won't wear their hands and they kid, you know, wear their gloves and their kids barefoot in the store licking the lollipops and shit. Like, none of that matters. So. Right. And then if they were like, fuck it, I'm going to go to the back when the toilet paper shipment come in and make sure I get toilet paper and fucking disinfecting before anybody, could you blame them? Like, could it's you? fucked up, exactly. but you like, damn, I mean, I can see why. <laughs> and that's and look, and that's how I'm looking at this motherfucking cop, at, at this cop shit, because I'm going to be real. If, you th- if you're talking about, if okay, so let's just take Cook County. You know how crazy it get. Like, my whole right. point is, imagine how much them cops dealing with in, in Chicago. I'm not saying they dealing with less or more, but I'm saying they fucking underpaid. So I can understand shit. I done ran up in this dope boy house. This nigga don't want to go to jail. You're not about to try to kill a cop. Hell yeah, run me a few racks. I ain't took anything. I and left you with all your drugs. I took like maybe like a quarter of your bread. You got like 20 racks in here. I took five. We out. See, here's the thing. Couple things, right? So, if I'm a cooker cop, I'm definitely taking 15. Get out of here, my nigga. Like, I could have took all of this. Like, <laughs> yeah, they said they took eight and left the guns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. When the nigga, when the nigga had the, when he had the big ass bundle of weed, they took eight thousand dollars, left him with all of them fucking drugs, left him with the rest of his fucking money, and they went to fucking Atlantic City. Took their wives to Atlantic City. Not me. I'd have left them with enough money to Uber home. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd, have, I'd, have, I'd have so much weed, it would have been trails of nuggets behind me. Niggas <laughs> <laughs> just coming down the stairs with the bag, like, nah, we don't, we don't need the van. We're good. We're good. Nothing to so, like, not only, like, the idea of, like, being a cricket cop in general, but then, like, how Michael put it to one of the people uh, in one of the scenes, I don't know, we'll, pro- we'll probably get to it later, but how he said, like, on top of us, them not getting paid enough, like, you want me to go take all of this money down to the station and initial each of these bills and log each of these oh, bills? Oh, yeah, he, nah, he told the dude, that's what he told the dude, he said, nigga, this shit that's, gonna that's, take that's you at least. Got, that's how he got them to Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah that, that one time, yeah, we're, right, we're gonna get to that shit. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like, also that, like, so, like, I'm not, we're not getting hazard pay. We're barely getting enough money. Like, you know, we're, like, we're definitely working longer than we're supposed to be. Like, right. and then now you want me to, like, do my job to this extent? You want me to go take all of this money I could have just put in my pocket for, for less? Right. But the crazy part is he wasn't the one that was going to take it because the funny part is that's right there. You, you right yeah. on fucking point. Look at you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, look, okay, so moving forward. What happens is, as, as Chris just alluded to, um, the, again, the 77th precinct gets busted. A lot of the corrupt police from the 75th retire. This makes Dow lose his partner, which is Chicky. Uh, in comes uh, Kenneth Urell. When, when Urell gets to the 77th precinct, I'm sorry, the 75th precinct, he had already heard about Dow and his crew. He had already knew that they was crooked, and he refused to work with him. He did not want to work with him. Kenny was a good-ass, straight-ass cop. That's all he wanted to be. He right. didn't want no part of the corruption. They ended up still having to be partners. The first time something goes down, Dow, they they respond to a call of a young lady saying that the house has been robbed. They go to the house. Nobody's there but this little girl. 
Michael convinces the girl to call her mother and ask her mother where she keeps all of the money so he can check to see if the robber took the money. <laughs> and when she calls her mother and tells he goes to that exact spot, he he takes all of the money. Somehow no one sees him do, do this. They get out in the car, they're driving. He gives Jarrell $100. And he's like, yo, where, where did this come from? And he's like, see, you didn't even see me take it. Because at, while they're still in an apartment, he tells the girl to tell her mother, like, nah, it's not here. The robbers must have got it. So he he takes the money. I don't know. They don't. I don't remember if uh, they gave a specific amount of how much that was. But anyway, he gives Yorel a hundred dollars. At this point, Yorel is still trying to be the straight good cop. He says he takes the hundred bucks, puts it in his locker. He never touches it, right? Never touches that shit again. Then a bond was formed. Early on now, not only was Jarrell, but his wife from other cops' wives, they was like, yo, don't fuck with this Dow dude. Like, how many times somebody got to tell you a nigga a crackhead before you believe he a crackhead? <laughs> so you steal all your stuff and blow up your spot, duh. Exactly. Like, you can hear ghost stories about him before you even meet him. Like, so. That's exactly. wild. There's ghost stories about this. This nigga got urban legends and fables, and he's alive. Living he's alive. Right. At work every day, and you just like, no, nah, that's cool. <laughs> right. How you how you meet the Michael Jordan of corrupt cops, and you acting like it's an everyday thing? Like, nah, nigga, like, it's niggas, it, it's niggas that's been in the force way longer than him that's like, yo, he that nigga. And right. you just like, you already don't want to fuck with the nigga, but you just going to take this honey and act like it was something smooth. So, I, we we said all of that to say uh, what Chris had alluded to. Um, Chicky Chicky again resigned from the 75th precinct because he was scared he was going to get busted. Yet he was still helping Michael Dowd out. Um, they they talk about a time where Dowd responds to a home. He finds a large bag of money. He convinces anti crime, which is what I don't know what they will call this now, but this is what they was calling this unit. It might still be the same thing. Convinces anti crime to leave the money. Has Chicky dressed as a cop. Now he calls he calls Chicky and he's like, "Yo, I need you to get over to this house." He's like, "Mike, I ain't got no car." He like, "I don't give a fuck. Steal one, rent one, convince somebody, motherfucker, get over to this house." Now, Mike goes over to this house. It's a real bust. He gets over to this house. Anti crime is counting his money. He doesn't know how much money it is, but he convinces them to leave it by saying, "Yeah, Yo, you're gonna have to take all of this down. You gotta initial each bill." You gotta log each bill. It's a whole fucking trash can of this. I was trash bag of this shit. Now you trying to do this shit all night, my nigga? And the dude was like, and he was like, he was like, fuck it, leave just leave that shit the fuck there. Like, just leave it the fuck. Now, mind you, Yarell is not on this on this trip. At this point, Dow is Dowd and a a, a female officer actually. Yeah. Yeah. They don't they don't give her name, but it's Dowd and a female officer and. When they do this, as as Christian said, they tell dude, look, you got to do all of this shit. Dude leaves the money. He leaves the money. <laughs> Mike goes and sees that he still doesn't know how much it is. He and this female cop drive around the fucking block. What do you say? Two hours? For An two- hour, two hours, some shit like that. Convinces her that because it's a live spot, they got to make sure don't nobody else go in there. And so she just got her seatbelt on and she just <laughs> riding along and then like Pangle. Listen. <laughs> that's it, wild, right? And then this is before cell phone, so she couldn't even play Candy Crush or nothing. Oh, she's just sitting in the car, riding, looking at the same head. fucking gray ass buildings and crackheads while they just circling one fucking block. She was probably pissed. 
This is the Nintendo hot Oh, they closing down. Oh. No Mario Run. No, no. She ain't got nothing. She ain't no Nintendo Switch. She can plug up nothing. This is in the car. No PSP. No nothing. No nothing. So now, somehow... Chicky and Chicky, uh, they he he gets another guy with him. They don't, I don't uh, remember if they mentioned this other guy's name, but Chicky dresses up as a cop. I don't know where he gets this uniform from because I'm almost assuming they make you give your shit back if you resign. He shows, up, <laughs> he shows up to the house. There's other. Oh no, they said he said that he had them dressed. They dressed up as detectives, so they weren't in uniform. Right, yeah, but he, he just kind of came playing. Oh, okay, oh, you're right, you're right. But he had that badge. He had, he had, had a. He flashes the badge or whatever. They get inside the house, whatever. They, you know, they talking to the other cops like right because they said they was detectives. That's why the other cops weren't tripping. Make a long story short, they take this bag. Once they take this bag and they count this money and they split it, Dow goes and sees Eula the next day. He's talking to him while they're on their route, and he goes, "Yo, this could have been you." He said, "I gave Chicky." $50,000 last night because he's the one that went and picked up the money. This could have been you. <laughs> your rail is in the spot where Dow was about a year ago. Right. Kids, wife, the $600 really ain't doing it. Fuck it. We all in. Yeah. And, then, and this is when shit gets good. <laughs> to me, I think this, now, for, for all of you who have never seen this documentary and all of you who have, Maybe it's just me, but I think as soon as they showed Urell, I was like, yo, that nigga, there's something wrong with him. He looks like, like, anybody, what's the nigga that, uh, uh, that snitched on, on the Gotti family? Um, Sammy the Bull. He looked like Sammy the Bull. He looked like he gonna be a snitch. He looked like something's up with him, right? So. <laughs> he. I don't know, but I didn't, I didn't get that from him. But like the guy said, like you look at him and you, he looks like a cop. Like you look at him and he looks like a cop. Like that's really nice. looks like a, he looks like a beat cop. Look like he got on his little blue joint with the hat and he run around whatever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean that he got big narc vibes. He got big big fed vibes. Big narc vibes. Exactly. Big exactly. Big, well, big like like the niggas uh, from Paydenfall. Fucking the niggas with the polos and the fucking chains came around, the fucking undercover cops. Like, that's what he looked like. He looked like, like the nigga. He looked like Ethan Hawke did when Denzel was trying to change him. I mean, train him. Hey, <laughs> let me, can I get some one crack? Nigga, if you don't get your white ass out of here, fuck is you talking about? One crack. <laughs> Hello, fellow children. Get your undercover cop ass out of here, nigga. <laughs> Hello, fellow, fellow gang members, where do we? What crimes are we committing today? Like, get the fuck out. <laughs> let me have, uh, let me have one nine millimeter, please, so I can commit. <laughs> what are we doing? One, four, four. <laughs> right. Are we doing drive by today? No. Oh, we're walking by. Okay, hold on, hold on. Yeah. I don't think, I, let I don't me think we have my orthopedic shoes. I didn't know. Sorry. Right. Like what? Right. I'll be back. <laughs> yes, very, very, very strong narc vibes. Exactly. So, so now he 
he definitely has the narc vibes, but again, he's in that position of shit, the $600 a week ain't working. He decides that whatever Mike gets into, he's going to be into. They do a few things, little shit that I don't document at this point, but the big, the big turning point in their relationship outside of the personal shit, they got kids, they are working together, he trusts them a little bit more. So at this point, they're actually friends. They, they hanging out, they drinking beers, whatever the fuck the case may be. They pull up on a fucking uh, spot one day. I don't even know what he said they was there for. But there is a Dominican guy. And he sees this Dominican guy with an extremely beautiful Puerto Rican woman, I think she, he says she was. And with his arrogance makes him look at this Dominican guy like, yo, who the fuck is this kid? Yo, hey, kid, come in. So he calls the guy over. The guy comes over to the car. He's talking to him. And he's like, but what's up with this chick right here? And the guy gets offended. And he's like, yo, that's my wife. And he looks at him. He's like, this is your wife. He's like, yeah, that's my wife. And, he's like, and, and the way Mike is describing him, he's like, this is like beanpole kid with dreads all the way down his back, super skinny. He's like, this chick is way out of his league. And he says, that's what, that's what clicked the light bulb on. That's your wife? Fuck, you got to be doing something right. Right. This is our introduction to Baron Perez. Right. Baron Perez is the owner of Audio City. For any of you who have been living under a rock for the last all of your fucking life, <laughs> don't know this, nine times out of ten, I, I'm even willing to say today, especially in the 80s and 90s, nine times out of ten, nigga, if you went in somebody's audio store, you was in a drug shop. You just didn't fucking know it. I mean... Who the fuck, like, it, it used to be against the law damn near to change some of them sounds in them cars. So even going and, like, getting all them tits and shit. So going as far as doing that, you knew niggas was doing something weird up in them shops any fucking way. You know right. what I'm saying? So a lot of y'all have been in drug spots and y'all don't even know it. You fucking criminal. A lot of, any, a lot of cash only spots. That's going to be another clue. You say niggas which one? Cash niggas only. <laughs> Real shit. Like, yeah. it's... It's just real easy. I mean, well, I ain't gonna say it's easy to spot a dope spot, but like, listen, if you walk into a spot and the owner has a cat, it's like a save you walk in a bodega and the cat walks around the store, they sell drugs in that store. <laughs> Everybody in New York know what I'm talking about because not all of those stores have cats in them. But if, especially if it's like an Albanian store, and I know in Detroit, you go to an Albanian store and it's a cat walking around that store, they sell dope in there. Any motherfucker, what? I digress. <laughs> <laughs> we meet Baron Perez. Baron Perez is the owner of Audio City. That and again, this is again Michael Dow is a cop, but as alluded to earlier, somebody he meets along the way just knows this nigga's a crook. And I feel the same way. He looked at Baron. He looked at Baron to say, "Yo, if that's your wife, I know you're doing something." They get the rapping. <clears throat> he tells them about some operations and some things that he has going on, and he tells them about a gang called La Compania. Or La Compania, I'm sorry, the company. This is a Dominican gang in uh, East New York, and it's run by a guy by the name of Cello. At this point, I'm going to give you all some time to, to, to give you all feedback on what's happened so far. Okay, so we never really see Baron's face, right? So I think that that's yeah. super cool. That's yeah. how you know he's still in these streets. Like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Baron is not his real name. Um, but yeah, right. so 
what I can't remember what exact what exactly did they did, what was the agreement that they made? Was it were they supposed to be like moving their money through there? Well, the agreement with Cello was uh, no, what it was was Barry hooked them up with the company, and the oh, deal yeah. was that these dudes would tell them like anytime something about to go oh, down. Thought was hot. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Which I mean, honestly, is a great deal. Like, like the people, like, like, like the fucking group, like the company, they totally have the money to give this nigga that's only making six hundred dollars every two weeks. Like, to give to throw this nigga two G's is nothing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like right. they're saying, like fucking, fucking kilos or how much they were like, because I was like thirty-seven thousand dollars at that time. Was, so like, it's gross. Yeah. Well, this was this was was it the company that they no because this was D, uh, the 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 next group that they was talking about with that. Okay. But at the same time, the the regardless of the group, you're right. They were right. saying like the, the, the kilos exactly. like yeah, like thirty four, thirty five thousand dollars. Yeah. Right, right. But he does. But they do talk to Cello, and that is the agreement that he's they're supposed to tell him when the drug the drug cops are looking into them when they have raids scheduled. Blah blah blah. And they're getting $8,000 a week was the agreement from this. And we find right. out, I guess that's probably the next thing, we find out that uh, Cello shorts him $700 one of these weeks. And, that's, and, and this is where she gets even more gangster. This is how you know Mike Dow was not ever going to be a cop. <laughs> no. And, and, and ever. That's, and, that's, and, and we joke about it and we're saying this, but I think that, you know, people get into jobs for the wrong reasons, right? And then you get there. And you're just like disillusioned because we're looking at this at in a time, you know, hindsight is 2020. We're looking at this in a time where if you decide you want to quit your job, there are a million other streams of income that you could probably get into reasonably easy. Yeah, real shit. Back then, you know, what, what were you supposed You lose your job, you lose your pension, you have a wife and two kids at home, a mortgage. What are you supposed to do? You know, their wives weren't working. Wife ain't got no job. So now you're the primary breadwinner. So it's not a thing of I can decide I don't want to be a police officer anymore and I can just go get another job. Right. That's whatever. Right. That's, that's big facts. Real shit. Yeah, that's real shit. <laughs> so at this point, it's like, hell, he's a police officer. I got to make the best of this because this is what I got now. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, honestly, man, I feel like not to get way off base, but I feel like a lot of that, that the way he handled that and the way you just described that, I feel like a lot of people do that. It's like, all right, I don't want to do this, but I got to have a job. I got these kids or fuck it. Even if you don't have kids, I just got me. I got to support myself. And I think that's where it comes from. It's like, I'm trying to be a good person. Right. But this good person shit just not working out. Doesn't pay well. You I mean, and then you also look at it as you can – you can disassociate in your mind from the problem if the problem does not affect you, right? These people are not living in New York City proper. They're living in the suburbs, you know, they, in one of those Italian communities, you know, they probably don't, you know, they're not doing drugs. Their community is not ravaged by, you know, the drug epidemic when this is going on. They're, you know, they're not living around drug dealers and scared of being shot in the crossfire or whatever else. So it's right. very easy to disassociate and be like, well, I don't care if they keep selling drugs. What the fuck does that matter to me? Exactly. They can't. They're not gonna call the police. They're a drug dealer, and I stole their drugs and their money. They're not gonna call anybody on me. So why the fuck do I care? Exactly. And that's real shit. That's real shit. And and within all of that, like they said, this is this is where you know 
that Michael was never meant to be a fucking cop. He just did this cuss. Michael gets short $700. Michael tells Baron that, yo, your man's shorted me $700. And, uh, you know, let him know. So I need my money. Right. So Cello is pretty much like, you know, fuck him, whatever. So Michael... Being I, and this to me, I was like, yo, this had to be the most ballsiest move, because again, this is the '80s. One of the most, I don't give a fuck how gangster you were. One of the most major rules was you don't kill fucking cops. So what does Michael do? He goes down to Cello's spot and he harasses every single fucking body that's in and out of that building. I'm pulling motherfuckers over. I'm giving motherfuckers tickets. I'm fucking flashing the lights in front of your place. I want my money. Yeah. So cello does. Cello gets upset, and 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 alluding or not alluding, but leading up to this, we we learn that cello is a high head. Cello is a gangster. Cello don't give a fuck. Cello will get you murked for any reason whatsoever. So yeah, Michael, they said he had pay people on payroll that they just kind of brought over from whatever their native country was, and their yeah, only the, job was to take out. Exactly. Exactly. You just that's what you're here for. So he 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 he's a ruthless motherfucker. Needless to say, he puts a head out on Mike. Barry <laughs> tells Mike, "Hey man, it's a head out on you. Like you should probably chill." And Michael, being Michael, most people would be like, "Yo, this Dominican nigga, he killing niggas left and right. He got a head out on me. Fuck. Let me go apologize." Michael's never seen this nigga face to face. He's never seen Cello face-to-face ever. He just knows who he is. He pulls on the block where this building is, and he sees a Porsche leaving, and he's like, it's gotta be him. He pulls him over, asks him for license and registration, he gives him license and registration, and he looks at him, and he goes, you put a fucking head out on me? And he sa- and when he says it, this you ever heard somebody tell a story that you know some bullshit, but then they say something to you like, nah, this nigga's not lying. Because Michael Dowd is not the nigga that puts fear in you. Like, I feel like I smacked that nigga now, and he he deal with it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But to look at this motherfucking gangster and tell him, you put a, you put a head out on me? Interesting. You put, you put a fucking head out on me? I'm going fu- right, to fucking kill you. If you don't take this head off me, I'm going I'm to fuck your whole shit up. I Somehow think, it worked out. Yeah, I mean, and I think it is one of those things where... You again, like we say, you recognize yourself in other people, whether you want to admit to it or not, whether or not you're ready to face up to that. But when you see a motherfucker and you see what the demons in you in them, you know not to fuck with them. And I guarantee you, on, on, on at surface value, I agree with you. I wouldn't be scared of my girl. Like, bitch, fuck you. Get out my face. But. <laughs> He pulled this man <laughs> over, looked him in his eyes, and was like, I will shoot you in this car and walk away like a shit happened. And just be done with it. And that man looked at him and he was like, Oh, this motherfucker is crazy, crazy. Like, he I'm crazy. Like, this motherfucker right. is crazy. He looked at me. He was like, Oh, no. He, no, no. I, 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 see, I see now that I, you know what? Never mind. Listen, he saw, he saw then, the crazy in him in Michael Dowd. He was like, No, nah, I can't. Right. I can't fuck with that. And then, look, no. Not only did you call the hit off my nigga, but you passed it through a nut. Hey, tell your mans I'm sorry. <laughs> that nigga was right. scared. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
Because look how easily he found him. And I think that is the thing. He found him so easily. He knew what his operation was. If Michael Dowd wanted to kill that man and just make and then have the police take all that shit down, it would have been nothing. They shit would have been closed down in three days. (laughs) Exactly. So that that operation is severed because Again, Michael Dowd is flexing his nuts. Him and Kenny Rowe, they're getting his money. He goes to Kenny. He's like, yo, we ain't working for them no more. And he's like, what are you talking about? He said, we ain't fucking with them no more. I give a fuck that he took this head off. We're not fucking with them no more. He goes to Baron. He tells Baron we're not working for them. Baron just so happens to turn him on to somebody a little bit more professional, a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit more connected. And the funniest part about all of this this man was sleeping with Cello's sister. This what? is where we meet Adam Diaz. Nigga, Adam Diaz was low-key one of my favorite people. The and way I, they I like him. So smooth. He was smooth about it. He, I think, uh, to me, he was the best character in the whole, the whole Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Like, like lore-wise and interview-wise, like, he was the best nigga in the whole thing. Um, we meet Adam Diaz again uh, to to just get you familiar to what to what their um, relationship is. Uh, he does the same thing for Adam Diaz. He ends up doing the same thing for Adam Diaz that he does for Michael. I'm I'm sorry for Cello. But what Chris said earlier in the beginning of the show, this is the guy. Again, this guy is like the big guy. This guy knows Escobar because, as a matter of fact, this is a part of the documentary where we meet Adam Diaz. And the narrator of the documentary says, or the interviewer says, how are you and the company alike? <laughs> he looks in the camera real dumb for a second, like, with this dumb look, like, and then he goes, not at all, like, <laughs> not at all, like, pretty much like I'm shitting on them, like, they could never compare to me, you know what I'm saying? And then he even said it, he was like, and I was fucking his sister, so... Fuck him. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah, he pretty much is like, you You don't compete where you don't compare. Like, he definitely was just like, whatever they doing over there ain't got shit to do with me. Let them do that little bullshit they doing over there. They they not fucking up my money, so I don't give a fuck. Like, exactly. that's nothing to me. <laughs> exactly. Diaz was moving three, 300 kilos a week at 34,000 a piece, and he was only 20 years old. This is where we meet Michael Dowd and Diaz. They, they had a connection. The original Diaz and Dow meet, and Dow wants now again. Dow was a gangster. Fuck this cop shit at this point. This mm-hmm. man asked the biggest gangster that he's ever met in his life for twenty four thousand just to talk. Yeah. Nigga, I ain't I ain't signed up for shit yet, but you about to give me twenty four racks just to sit down with you to have a conversation. Right. Yeah. Adam B. Adam Diaz is so impressed by this nigga's nuts that he's like, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he calls somebody like, hey, can you, I need I need 24. Can you? I'm right. Just, come on, bring it over. <laughs> like this, this fucking gringo talking about, nigga. Now I, I got to hear this. Right. If right. nothing else, I'm paying $24,000 for Intel. Even if I shoot his ass on the spot and take my 24 back, I'm going to put the 24 on the table just to hear what this motherfucker got to say. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Make laugh. <laughs> I love I love a good comedy. Come on. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> so they have a conversation. Uh Diaz gives him the twenty-four thousand. 
he likes Michael. This is this is where he meets Michael and he says, uh, you look at Michael and you can tell that Michael was a crook off top. Like he said, I saw some of me in Michael. He said, well, you look at Kenny. Kenny was a cop. <laughs> and I knew it. But he said, but at the same time, you couldn't get the same work out of Mike without Kenny. And had Kenny ever came to me and was like, yo, fuck Mike, I got a whole bigger, better team. I never would have worked with him. Right. He's a cop. Right. So Diaz definitely saw that the, the cons and their pros would be in the team. Um, again, he's giving them 8000 a, a week to inform him on police operation that may be affecting his business. Also, Dowd and Eula would escort Diaz daily when he would take his drugs and his money to his stash house. Um, protecting Diaz uh, daily eventually showed itself in a big way. When Dowd noticed unmarked cars parked around the corner from one of Diaz's operations and was informed that they were taking Diaz down that day. He just so happened to be driving by this alleyway. And, and again, you're a cop. This is the 80s. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? It's a different time. I think now shit is so technical. Like, you don't never know when the fuck you being listened to, looked at, whatever. But if you're a fucking cop, you know what the what the unmarked look like. You know what I'm saying? So he drives by alleyway. He sees a bunch of unmarks. He goes back there. He's talking to him, And, you know, they don't know he crooked, so they just shooting the shit. He's like, yo, what y'all guys doing back here? He's like, yeah, about an hour. We about to go around the corner and, and shut down Diaz's spot. He walks out. All right, then. I'm going to catch up with y'all later. (laughs) (laughs) All right, be easy. (laughs) What you about about to do? What you about to do? Oh, okay. All right. All right, then. Have fun doing that. And then he fucking called Diaz and was like, shut it down. (laughs) Shut it the fuck down. That's a wild shit. He really just went around the corner and was like, so... What y'all up to? How, how's your wife and kids? How, how's that preschool I told you about going? It's good. It's good. All right. Okay. Okay. Hey, y'all about to do one? Oh, okay. I make your dinner plans. And she, yeah, we're going to barbecue on Sunday. You should bring the kids. They having a good old fucking right. kiki in the quarter. He doesn't right. make dinner. They sitting around each other Sunday dinner like, man, yeah, we busted him and it wasn't shit at that spot. You don't say. And if that shit was right now, he would have still he would have been talking to him in the alley and then texting Diaz like shut it down like and then been like all right then my nigga like I'll see y'all later. (laughs) Stop it! No, stop it! I know, but when the niggas when the niggas said that, the man said he talked to them. Went around the corner, walked in the bodega, grabbed two beers, and just walked up to the counter and, and wiped his hand across the neck, shut it down. Say so the cops came up in that motherfucker. He said the dude called uh uh Diaz, told Diaz what happened. Diaz said, Cool, fuck it, shut the doors in it. And he said even his workers was like, What is you talking about? He said, I don't give a fuck. Shut <laughs> the doors, get all Please the drugs out of there. Counter. Get- Right, get he the- said, get all the men out of there except for the nigga who worked at the counter. <laughs> it's a story again. But boss, we gonna lose, we gonna... Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shut these doors. Put, the- put that nigga real cat back in there. Shit. <laughs> put this nigga real cat back in there and get the fuck out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Put them expired fucking honey buns back and leave. Shit. Yeah, leave the store. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
store. This 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 was a, another turning point in Michael and Diaz's relationship because this ended up saving Diaz uh, a half a million dollars in cocaine. There was no money in the store outside of I think the money that would have been in the normal. Because now, mind you, uh, we didn't I didn't say this, listener, but Diaz literally this store still was a grocery store. There was people that still would come in and still buy food, milk, shit. You know what I mean? Eggs, whatever. But then there was niggas that was going in the back and buying kilos. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, and they just knew. You just go in, browse the shelf a little bit, and walk straight to the back. Exactly. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? You And they knew who the buyers were, who the regular customers were. They, you know, they had a good little thing going on. But again, it's the 80s. Somebody to snitch. Everything set up. Michael Dowden got the drop. He goes in, shuts shit down. And the cops come raid the spot. And they literally looking like, Yo, where the drugs at? What drugs? What we drugs? bought drugs here last week. Yo, fuck what you did last. He even said, I don't give a fuck what you did last week. There's no, <laughs> there's no drugs here. Like, you gotta go. And again, this saved uh, Diaz, like I said, a half a million dollars in coke. Right. Um, at this point, uh, Dowd and Urell start robbing multiple places for Diaz. They include Chicky and uh, which is Chicky is the ex cop. At this time, Walter is still a cop. Walter, at this point, they show Walter in the beginning, but then at this point, they they let you know what Walter really is. Like Walter's like a six foot five, three hundred pound fucking monster. And if you're talking the eighties, and we talking the the dude that still just look racist enough to where you don't want to try his big white ass, this is Walter. Um. The perfect. Right, like I was like I look, I'm looking at this nigga and I'm just like, cause when they show him at the beginning, I'm just like whatever. But then when they bring him back in and they show his young picture, I'm like, oh yeah, this nigga was on some other shit. Right. Like Walter looked like he Walter looked like he got some bodies somewhere and he has a farm where he's putting on his overalls and feeding people to pigs in the back. Like Walter gets these. <laughs> Look like he was into some shit that would put you on death row, essentially. Like, <laughs> right, like he might know some shit. Right, or know some um, people that know some shit. Right. So at this point, so again, we tell you that we got, um, you know, Diaz has has a uh, a bigger operation than Cello had. Uh, Michael is working with him, but at this point, Diaz gets robbed. And he gets robbed on some, some some fuck shit, actually. A nigga literally walks up to the nigga that's outside, standing at the back door, flashes the gun, and says, yo, open the door. And the nigga opens the door. And which is, you know, if you the nigga out there, you just got to take them shots, bro. Your family's probably going to be eating for yeah, you. Yeah, I, I was uh, very disappointed at how easy these niggas got past the door. Right, like, yeah. So it says uh, uh, Diaz is robbed and employs Dow and Eula to find the culprits, two gentlemen, Frank and Coke. They find these men and turn them over to Diaz. When Diaz is asked what happened to the camera, when, <laughs> when Diaz is asked what happened to them, on camera, with a sly, he gives a sly laugh to the cameraman and it's like almost chilling. Like he says, what happened to Frank? And this nigga literally says, "He, what did he say? He's not around no more. I didn't kill him." And he said, "He said, I know, say, I, I know, say, I kill him, 
Right, but he's not around no more. <laughs> and, and then he said, though, but then he said, so what happened to Coke? And that nigga looks in the camera and just gives a... <laughs> and I'm just like, no, nigga. Is this nigga in acid somewhere? Like, what is that laugh? Like, what does that laugh mean? That, that's the laugh of I'm not going to incriminate me or incriminate myself on this motherfucking documentary. That's that right. laugh. That's right. the, there's no stat, there's no statute of limitations on murder laugh. That's what the fuck that is. <laughs> exactly. That's the, you funny. You almost caught me. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. These statues are not over. Um, <laughs> um, this is now at this point, this, this is now starting to get um, kind of towards the end of the documentary. Um, Again, because this is showing, again, at this point, everything that you just learned, all that we've talked about, Mike is continuously doing this. He's getting AK a week for, you know, uh, the escorts and the, and the information and this and this and that and that. He he helps uh, find these guys when Diaz gets robbed. Him and Diaz find, they don't form a bond, but Mike is his dude when it comes to at least having some cops on his team. And it makes him a little bit more, more impenetrable because now you have cops on the payroll. Right. Um, during this whole thing, Mike, uh, they're just, uh, they're actually, they pick up a perp. Something happens. They go pick up a, a guy. They're taking him back to the station. While taking the perp back to the station, they get a live fire call. They actually kick the guy out the car, tell him to just fucking leave, and they go to respond to the call. Once responding to the call, uh, they say that they see a, a, a cop like a, uh, I forgot, a sergeant or something walking down the street with a guy in his arms. And it's another cop who's been shot. He puts him in the back of the car. And I can't remember if they said at that point they realized he was shot in the head or he ended up getting shot in the head again. Because dude was like huge as fuck. He couldn't really fit in the car with the doors closed. It seemed as if that's what happened. Like that like that was how why, that was how he was getting pulled, like and, taken out of the house. Okay, right. All right, but So they, they put him in the you said what now? This part kind of irritated me. Yeah, just okay. so okay, so they so they start like everybody's telling the story and they're getting emotional about this because it's the wounded cop on the fucking on the fucking scene or whatever. It's a black cop or whatever, and I guess this is like the only time like and even then now race doesn't come up. So I see what you were saying at the very beginning. So like it was a black cop and they were all still very emotional because he was a cop and they were a cop and. Like, it was really sad that this happened, and then, um, it's, it's just, like, you not really a cop, though. Like, I get, like, what you're saying, but, like, this, the, the, the nigga that you're, like, that you're, I, I don't know, like, he would have told on you, probably. Like, and you know what, you know what? Yeah, because I was kind of conflicted at this point, too, because I was, like, I do get it that, I mean, because I've met cops, and I know cops that for real live by that motto, cops don't tell on cops, but at the same yeah. time, I don't know too many cops that's out here racially like being shitty to people. You see what I'm saying? And so that I think that's that's what made me bring that point up. And especially with this happening and him showing so much emotion, and it was a black cop because he never made mention to his race either. He made mention to the fact that it was a cop that died, and the and the dudes that killed him was the company. Right, and, and we, only, we only know he's black because they show his picture. Because they honest. showed his picture, right. Because his last name is actually uh, Vulnerable. Ver- yeah. Vulnerable. Like, right. I would have never guessed that was a black guy, you know what I'm saying, until they showed the picture. 
Um, he's killed by the company. He dies in Mike's uh, patrol car as they attempt to take him to the hospital. He actually, because he says that, he's like, yo, this is a cop. You don't wait on an ambulance. You just, boom, you take him yourself. Dude ends up dying. He's showing this emotion. But one of another part of the documentary that I thought was really important that they show here is that the guy from Internal Affairs, and I and forgive me for not writing his name down. Um, actually, I think I did write his name down. But the guy from Internal Affairs comes on, and he's like, Mike's trying to show to all this emotion like he cared that a cop died. Right. He that a cop died? You know what I'm saying? Because if you care, like, you, you, you're you not a cop. You know what I exactly. mean? You know what I mean? Like, That's how I felt. Like, it was just like, what are you, like, like, the, like y'all not on the same level. Like, this is, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, at this point, you're a perp taking a fucking cop to the fucking hospital. Like, right. like but, that, like, that's what it felt like to me. And again, exactly. I think it's that dis- dissociation in his mind, right? Like, I'm doing all this other bullshit, but this is just a means to an end. I'm still a cop, albeit a dirty one, but I'm able to compartmentalize that part and... Right. This is a co-worker and cops live by a code to protect each other. And now this right. man is dead. And I think that is what it is. I don't think that I get what you're, the two of you are saying. And I agree on some level, but I really think in his mind that like they were having that conversation about, you know, they were just like cops protect cops, period. You have right. that person's back no matter what. So this man died in his car, regardless of what other things he's doing. He's like, damn, that's fucked up. You know, we, we protect each other. Right. right. No, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I agree with you because I remember when they're talking, they're doing a deposition and the one of the questions that they were asking, did were you a cop? Were you a New York police officer or were you a drug trafficker? And he said both. Right. And re- but remember, though, like, I don't know if they did it for effect or if that was real life. Remember, he took a long fucking time answer, to answer yeah. that question. You know I mean, because and I, I don't know, I don't know if y'all could hear what the lawyer was saying. And I, I, it sounded like he said truth, like he was asking him to just say what you feel. Yeah. And I, and I think that that might have been the hesitant, but I don't know. I could because the the close caption didn't pick it up, but I was listening to it, and that's what it sounded like he said. Like, and just I, like I mean, and I think that's the case. Like, I, I think that he was a drug trafficker, but he was also a cop because I. Because like they were saying, these people were still getting 200 calls a day. Surely he was not robbing everybody, every call. Exactly. So with exactly. some of these calls, he was actually going to do his job. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because somebody would have been, because that's the thing. This dude never got reported for being a shitty cop, being, you you know what I mean, you you out here harassing people. You That's he, not the corruption just, that Michael was bringing. This nigga was robbing niggas that essentially you're telling me are shitty people anyway. You're preaching to the community that these are shitty people, but you're mad at me for robbing the shitty people. No, right. you're mad because you didn't get to rob all of the shit. You didn't get all the, the, the spoils yourself from right. robbing the shitty people. And I think that's what it really boils down to, if we really think about it, because even him sitting in that hearing, like, when he was sitting there and they asked him that question and it took him a minute to answer, that's probably the one time that, like, again, because I couldn't identify with him, but the one time where I felt 100% where he was coming from, because those times, like, I remember even being in the, in the military and being like, you goddamn right about to take this trip with my cousin, because you're not paying me enough. Right. I'm out here risking my life for this country, but I'm still about to, hey, you know what I'm saying? So I can get it if if you go, because I think it, I, 
nigga from the nigga that fucking get the fucking janitor job at Carl's Jr. all the way up to the CEO of your favorite fucking company. The day you walk into a new position, you walk into it with the expectation and the feeling of, I'm about to rock this shit out. And when you right. find out it's not what you thought it was, you become a failure to you if you quit. So how do I survive here without right. fucking dying? Right. Right. I'm I hear drug dealers, you know what I'm saying? So for me, man, like we 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 get to this point. I'm sorry, y'all, my nose had closed out. We get to this point again. Uh he's still working for Diaz. Uh Officer Vulnerable dies. He feels this anger because he's lost a cop. Yet this cop has died from the life that Mike fucking fluently thrives from. Uh, shortly later in the documentary, it comes out that Internal Affairs has an informant that work, that's working for them and ends up snitching on Dow. He doesn't say he doesn't tell what Michael is doing, but he simply tells uh, uh, Internal Affairs about Mike the cop who drives the red Corvette. A few moments before this in the documentary, they show where Kenneth Euler, Euler's wife, uh, I think it was another cop, somebody else. We're saying where they all told this dude, do not ever drive that car to work. Mm-hmm. He drives that car to work because because if 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 the snitch says Mike the cop with the red Corvette and you've never driven that shit to work, who the fuck know you got a red Corvette? Exactly. Again, this exactly. is the '80s. This ain't no ain't nobody just out with camera phones everywhere and shit. Well, that is $600 a week. And that is the the issue that a lot of people, and this is unrelated, but when you look at white collar crimes, like we said when we were watching Meet Millions, it's a paper trail. So when things don't start to add up and we can't, and we pull your financials and you're making $600 a week, but you have condos and a Corvette and this big ass house and new furniture and we can't place the money anywhere, now we have a problem. Yeah, right. Not to mention that he also mentions at some point in this, they ask him about his paychecks as being a police officer. He was forgetting to pick them up. Yeah. Yeah. He did say that. Yeah. How are you forgetting to cash your paycheck from your legitimate job, but you have a Corvette? What are you going to lie and say your wife has a job now? Like, (laughs) two weeks. That's why. Like, right. But then, (laughs) you know what, though? But, But this also shows, like, and I'm not. I'm saying that niggas should be snitching or saying this or saying that, but it also shows how like a difference in time affects yeah. so much shit. Because right now, you don't have an option to forget your paycheck. If right. you work at a job and you don't give them direct deposit information, somebody coming to your cubicle or your your wherever the fuck you at, hey, I'm gonna need you to fill this out. We're gonna give you a cash card, nigga. I don't have time to give you this check. Right. Think about back then, the nigga that just had like 10 of Michael's checks sitting at the desk like, where the fuck is this nigga dialed at? <laughs> I'm not gonna say shit, but goddamn, I, I sit now, I know I seen this nigga at Mustard this morning. You just like, oh, you check up like, this nigga like, this white here. He come to right. work every day. He don't, right. he, he don't have rent. Like, what is... Look, that's our, that's our conversation start too. This is the 80s. You see a nigga sneaking around the back like, bro, let me talk to you. What's good? What's good? Does Michael's wife have a job? Because, I mean, this is not. <laughs> Did Michael win the lottery? Did he did not tell us? That's crazy. He comes to work as a cop every day and he won the lottery? You know, they, so, that is so commendable. <laughs> they like, God, he is an upstanding guy. Look at that. My right. goodness. <laughs> this, this nigga out here 
robbing drug dealers and snorting cocaine off crackhead booties. <laughs> um, so we find out again, an informant tells about Mike. Uh, Internal Affairs gets us looking at Mike and his situations. Uh, the heat is on. Actually, Dow and Urell uh, actually get arrested. Um, once they get arrested uh, for the for the impl- implications, because they never really get arrested for doing shit, if you really think about it. Because um, they didn't do no time right off top. So they get out because they got busted for, I think they said they knew like they had like robbed a couple of dudes and they was being crooked and all of this. So they get out. You're no longer a cop. This and this, that and that. Yet and still, they're connected to the underworld. They learn of a plan to kidnap a drug lord's wife and then rob the drug lord. Urell ends up snitching to his lawyer and the feds and gives up Dow. They're supposed to go through a neighborhood, pick up a lady, or I'm sorry, show up to this lady's house as flower flower delivery men, <laughs> kidnap this lady, and right. then rob the drug lord. Urell snitches. Tells the lawyer. The lawyer tells the go. Harvey ends up telling the cops. The cops are waiting for them to rob, to, to show up. And instead of the, the woman being there, they tell this woman, yo, you got to get out your house. We're going to take the place. We're going to be waiting for him. We're going to arrest him. Michael Dow. And I, th- I feel like God sometimes, even when you're a fucked up person, and I ain't going to say fucked up person, because I don't think he was a fucked up person in this situation. But anyway, even when you're doing shit that people say you shouldn't, God give you a chance. Mm-hmm. You turned on a scanner. Suspicious car coming down such and such and such a street. Nigga! Oh, That's shit, you. Kitty. They looking at us, Kitty. We should leave, Kitty. This is you saying it, Mike. Yo, let's get the fuck up out of here. You looking at your man's like, how they know? I'm sorry, listener. I should have told this part. At this point, Mike has picked up Kenny. Before yeah. Mike picks up Kenny to go take care of this last mission that they feel like they should be able to do to get some money, Mike can leave the country. Because actually they end up getting arrested. That's what it was. They end up getting arrested on a conspiracy for the things that they were doing, and then they got released on bond. Somebody told Mike to get out of the country, but boom, you want to get out of the country? I got another little scheme for you to get this money real quick. And this is the job. Kenny, in turn, is wearing a wire. (laughs) Wait, and remember, this is not this year... So it's not a microchip that can fit behind your ear or like underneath your like shit and nobody can like touch it or feel it. This is like a mini talk boy. (laughs) Right. This is like straight damn, I mean, straight Walkman size. Yes. Just strapped on your body. So Kenny's like, yeah, put it on my ankle or put it on my calf because I got a, I got a muscle calf. I got muscular <laughs> calves, right? <laughs> He's never going to know. My He's calves never, are so muscular. So, oh, muscular. so he puts it on his calf, and now he's, yes, so he's wired during this car, this car ride. That's important. Exactly. So they, the, the scanner comes on. They decide to bail out. They bail out of the plan. And to me, I'm like, damn, I wish Mike, you just pick up on it, that this is not the time. Because then again, Mike is a snitch, or, or Kenny is a snitch. Everything's fucked up. At this point, it's already a plan that, yo, this is going to happen. They're going to get arrested. Kenny's wife is at the house, ready to go with right. bags packed, because they about to go into, like, witness protection and get the fuck up out of here. Right. They, they basically, don't they have, like, no furniture either? Like, 
Yeah, exactly. like they've cleaned the house out. They're selling the house. It's done. They're like, we're finished with this shit. And, I, and that's when we realize that their wives are privy to their illegal activities. What? Yes, because <laughs> Mike even says it. They pull, they pull back up to Kenny's house. They get out the car. And before they can walk into the house, Kenny says, hey, give me a second. Let me make sure my wife is dressed. And Mike even says it's like, he never gave a fuck before if I walked in the house and his wife was dressed or not. He said, that's when I knew something was up. Go inside the house now. Kenny's wife is now in the house. She sees them pull up. She sees Mike is with him. She takes all the bags, throws them in the fucking bedroom, jumps in the shower, gets wet real quick, jumps out the shower and puts a robe on as if she's been at the crib chilling all day. But then they walk into the house and Mike is like... <laughs> Fuck is your furniture? (laughs) (laughs) My nigga, what happened? Kenny brings up the bullshit excuse about selling the house and then says, yeah, the house shows better, you know, with no furniture in it. Right. And Mike even said it then. He was like, this motherfucker had an answer for everything. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that same day, Kenny ends up going, I mean, I'm sorry, Mike ends up going home. And as he's going home, he says it. He said he sees the cars following him. He thinks he he knows they following him, but fuck it, you know what I mean? He he didn't get caught. Actually, no, I take that back. He goes home and he calls Kenny, and he says, "Yo, uh, a motherfucker did it. A motherfucker got the bitch because on the news, a, another lady got killed at her door by a flower delivery man in Queens." Right. This was supposed to be where they were supposed to be going to do the same thing. So he thought that somebody got them. So now he's on tape saying this to Kenny. Hey, yo, somebody got us. And admitting to the fact that these are the things that he was planning to do. I want to say it was fast forward to the next day or maybe a week later. The cops warm on his cul-de-sac and boom. Yeah. It's done. It's over. You know what I'm saying? The rest, of, um, the rest of the documentary at that point is, I mean, mostly like him being upset that his partners ratted him out. Shit, shit. At this point, yeah, the only thing important after that is it shows that Diaz uh, does eight years and is deported. Dowd served 12 years for racketeering conspiracy and conspiracy to uh, distribute narcotics. Urel uh, yep. never served a day and is technically under some form of witness protection. And as Walter said, I can go back to New York whenever I want. <laughs> I, I don't want to be him having to look over his shoulder every day. So. Yeah, he definitely said that. <laughs> without without being calling him a snitch-ass bitch. Like. Right. Yeah, he was just like, I can go wherever I want to. He can't. <laughs> and, and, look and, what and I can he, do. <laughs> right. And Kenny's, Kenny's like, I'm not a rat, because you know, a rat a rat is somebody who tells on somebody to get, you know, to make their situation better. I was just yeah, saving a woman's right. life. Shut well, the fuck up, You did make your situation Kenny. better. Like, the fuck? Right. You didn't go to jail. What are you talking about? Right. You still got all that dough. I'm sure these niggas didn't make you pay none of that money back. Right. No, the drug dealers. Obviously not. It Ill-gotten gains would have been stored in a, a locker at the precinct or whatever. And... Exactly. Thank you, mate. They're not making you pay back drug dealer restitution. Please. 
you owe you owe Pookie twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> right. right. Keep in mind, keep in mind, ain't nobody initial none of this money, so it's not like Pookie can prove it's his twelve thousand fucking dollars anyway. <laughs> I got I have serial numbers this through this. <laughs> I know whose money that is. Hell, Listen, if they were smart, like, they didn't keep the shit at their house anyway. You can't retrieve something that I don't have. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Listen, my whole thing too. I'm gonna be real. You gonna tell me Michael Dow did 12 years, and the nigga don't look good, but you 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 not an ex cop that did 12 years and you came out and just landed into something great. If you ain't yeah. had some shit based yeah. somewhere, nigga. Somebody was taking care of him. Yeah, that nigga's skin look good enough. Like that, like something yeah. you got some money somewhere. You buried some of that money somewhere, nigga. He, but, was, he was getting he was getting the premium commentary. Right. Oh, right. sure. I mean, and obviously they didn't put him in regular popular, you know, general population. So he right. probably was at some nice cushy jail, hanging out, kicking it, playing squash or whatever. <laughs> Making friends to do more crooked shit when he get out. Exactly. So I just, you know, I feel like he just doesn't have a badge now, but I don't think Michael's keeping his nose clean. I think he's just not dealing with drug dealers. And he ain't telling y'all. Oh, no. <laughs> exactly. So, um, in conclusion, I mean, because this is the wrap-up of, that was our, our, our watch of the 7-5. Um, yeah. In my estimation, the want and need plus continuance of personal police corruption was built out of Dow's personal life as a crook, but fostered by the police department's lack of responsibility and making sure these type of things weren't happening. The overkill, if you will, the violence, drugs, crime in the 80s of East New York, Brooklyn, allowed for certain things to be overlooked or not known at all. And when these type of things are overlooked, when you're not giving a fuck about the small things, the small things snowball into big things, and the next thing you know, you got the seven five. Yeah, man. It yeah, just, I it's, mean, like, it's a line of like where like, do you care that you're doing bad stuff to bad people, right? Like, yeah, right. like, and I did it's, it's a somewhat warped vigilante justice, right? Like this nigga was Batman, but like not rich with a badge. Like, right. do we care that he's like, do we care that he's fighting crime, or should we just kind of be like, you know, like it's <laughs> look at the like, damage you're doing, Tri City, Batman. Like, <laughs> right, right. He some drug dealers and stole some drug money. <laughs> and, and, and that's I what I'm saying. Take from, take from the drug dealer, keep for myself, like. <laughs> And that's and and I think that's why I think that they didn't bring race into this because if we, if I ever find out Michael Dow was racist, I'm gonna be upset because I'm like, yo, if you don't bring race into this, it's almost like yeah, I get it. I, you know, it. I, I would stop short of the, you know, let's kidnap some drug dealer's wife and then hand oh, her yeah, over right. to yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was desperation. That was a desperation move at that point. He was just trying to get out of the country. Right. Which that I don't was... understand because reasonably speaking, you had to know that this shit was going to end at some point, right? Like this, this <laughs> is not something that you can sustain forever. You could be a dirty cop for a while, but, but at some point, maybe he just felt like he was going to retire. It, like, but but think about it. If if well, for one, eternal affairs was coming down, but yet and still, if your man's never snitch, you still never have a reason to not believe in the game. And at that time. Even though he knew that they was going to go down, that was the thing. If, if I'm about to get the fuck out the country, you about to get the fuck out the country, too. Exactly. So that last job was not a just me thing. We getting enough money for all of us to get the fuck out of here. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And so at that point, it's like, 
he's still not thinking this man's on some bitch shit, and here we are. Yeah. Man, this nigga never did a day. I bet that nigga go to Atlantic City a lot. <laughs> that nigga probably said, he was like, and you know, because the one thing that, that that stick out to me about Kenny when he was describing his house, he sounded like Italian as fuck, like everybody else in this documentary, except for that one word. When that nigga what? said appliance, that man was like appliances. He was happy to have good shit. This nigga <laughs> spent the day in jail, like right. nigga, like you right. can't even look. Like, come on, blood. Like, you don't. I like. Don't get me wrong. If you want to sit up here and say, like, yeah, I fucked up, that's cool. But how dare you sit up here and act like this nigga didn't make your life better? Yeah. He d- and then I think and I think that might be the only part where I kind of had sympathy. Because even though they were doing crimes together, I really legit feel like Michael, his heart of hearts, thought they were friends outside of the crime. Like, yeah, exactly. Not like associates and we just doing these crimes together. He was like, nah, this like my brother. He's family. He never right. once thought this nigga gonna rat me out. He's not built for not this. Once. He's gonna rat me out. He not never once thought that. And no, that's great. To- <laughs> oh no, I was gonna say sorry. Yarell's wife even even said that they were like in a re- husband like wife relationship. Right. She even said it. He would come get my husband out of bed at four thirty in the morning just because he wanted to drink. Yeah. Like. like- yeah. That was like, his only like, friend, because who else the fuck can you trust with that kind of shit? Like, you can't have a circle of great, wonderful cop friends that are by the letter making $600 a week, and you bringing ribeye steaks by the case and shit, serving <laughs> the filet mignons to the fucking cookout, and they like... Right. Nigga, what? I right. got steaks for everybody, and it's fucking 30 Italians at a goddamn barbecue, and you done bought fucking filet mignon for everybody. They're just like, excuse me? Right. Right. What? Where does this what, come from? What is this? So, I mean, who the fuck, who, who else was he going to be friends with? Honestly. Exactly. Yeah. Real shit. Real you shit. can't be friends with a drug dealer and be a cop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hang out with that nigga, right. Adam Diaz drink on the weekends together. Like, no, he couldn't do that shit. So, right. you know, who, who's left? You can only right. be friends with one person, and unfortunately, that was his undoing. Yeah. You can't yeah. be friends with motherfuckers. And do dirt with him. Yeah, real shit. Not that much dirt. A little dirt. A little bit, a right. Little bit. Much. A little dirt. You know, harmless schemes and cry. Harmless harmless scams. You can do a couple of harmless scams with a friend. <laughs> <laughs> harmless scams. You can harmless do a fraud with your friend. And you can do that little circle shit that was with the eight people and you write your names in the grid or whatever that shit was that's floating <laughs> around on, on, on social media. That's a harmless scam. I guess you could scam people out of $800 with your friend. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Rats, like, be careful. Rose, <laughs> it's not funny. They really were scamming people. And I kept wondering, like, oh, oh, let me get this straight. You put your name in the middle of the circle, and you give eight people to give you $100, right? And I'm just like, I don't why would I give someone $100 when I could just start my own circle? I was not going to put my name in the middle. Right. That, was, huh? that, that was a fucked up, fuck up, like, example of gifting. You ever heard of gifting? That's where that came from. What's yeah. that? So What's you that? remember? Okay, so everybody remember this. Do you remember? It was that Parker's episode where that dude was telling people like, "Yo, if you give this person some money and then give me some money," and it ended up being like they was at this uh like little uh I, that little shit where Kim and them used to eat and and they little lunches at college and shit, and the dude ended up getting arrested. I don't. He fucking away. 
Look, any fucking way, that used to be some real shit. And the only reason I know is because I got money off this shit. That's why when I saw that shit, I was like, oh, these niggas is doing it wrong. So by <laughs> law, by law, if you give somebody $16,000 in one penny, they have to pay taxes off that money. Anything less than that, they do not. So it used to be this thing called gifting. And what this dude figured out, his name was Tim Cook. What he figured out was how to like make let niggas get money for free. And so if you was real about this shit, you pay $50 and you come in, right? And so you pay this $50, but you, when you pay it, you pay it through like PayPal or whatever the fuck. And then just go to some random ass person. You might not ever meet this person. But the next thing you know, you just got like a $50 check in the middle from some random nigga you didn't know. So that shit entices you to keep going. And so niggas literally, I remember going to my father's house, yo, and for like two months, I remember my father not working because this nigga literally was just getting checks put in his mailbox because niggas was doing this shit. And so this nigga was doing this shit legally, but the government tried to shut him down because niggas, would, you could take your shit, and if you got up to the $16,000 level, then you couldn't work off that board no more. But the nigga had made it to where you could buy as many boards as you want. <laughs> so you just pay $50 in. So you over here at 16 all right, I'm about 50 hit, 50 hit, 50 hit, and you just keep going. <laughs> See, and I've heard of that. And then I've heard of the more innocent version, which I cannot remember what the name is, but it has a couple of different names in different languages, where essentially it's kind of like a, a pot that you put into. So it was the same idea as that, but people have found ways to turn it into like a, a, a multi-level like pyramid. Yeah, exactly. But it used to just kind of be like, because at my old job, the ladies that worked in the because I used to work for a confectioner candy company and I worked in the office but the ladies that worked in the plant they only hired women in the plant because studies had shown that the women did better with dexterity with like wrapping the candy and stuff neither so they only hired women but it was a bunch of like Hispanic women and so they would do like this thing where basically they would just put money in a pot and then every month it would be somebody's turn to get the pot. So you're just basically, it would just be names and you, you, if you contributed one time, you know, you would get the entire pot one month. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah, you're right. That's sort of like that same So shit. yeah, it started out as something very innocent like that. And people have turned it into some type of like multi-level right. pyramid scheme, but it started out as just kind of like being like a gift pot. Yeah. That's why dude got took down. Cause it was like, if you run this one board, yeah, nigga, cool. You're right. You got 16 racks, and I can't do shit to you. But you teaching niggas how to get 16 racks over and over and over and over again, and essentially niggas was not working. I knew some niggas that for real was like, work hard, nigga. I'm about four, I'm about four boards in, blood. We good. I'm like, shit. <laughs> oh, wait. And so did you ever have to spend more money and you had to keep spending money in? Like, it's just, yeah, I don't so- understand. So okay, so yeah, so what it'll be? It'll be like this. So like, you buy in, you buy in at whatever level you want to, right? Because the levels do keep going up. So you buy in, you could buy in at like the two fifty level. So say it's a fifty, that it go fifty, a hundred. I think it was a hundred to two hundred, and the two fifty, whatever the levels was, you you had to pay that next level to get in. But what it was is whatever was below that, it was way more of them. So say you got in, you paid the fifty, right? You yeah. paying fifty on this one nigga board, but like it's like ten, it's like ten of y'all. Y'all don't know each other. Y'all don't even know the nigga you paying. Yeah. But it's like ten of y'all, so he getting all these fifty dollar payments. You know what I'm saying? So when you get up to that level, you getting all these fifty dollar payments as well. So the whole thing was to take your money 
and you're going to get a cut off of it. But to t so say it's $500 and the next level is 250. Bet pay this 250. You still just made 250 for being alive. So now you pay this next you pay this next 250, you move up to the next level. Now you now it's 10 niggas below you and they all got to pay 100. Oh, okay. you know Wait, slow down. And then the next level did what? <laughs> Can oh, I speak get, slowly I'm, and clearly into the microphone, please. Right. I'm going to become a Yahoo boy. <laughs> I, I still have time to run a harmless scam with my friends before the quarantine's over. <laughs> we got a couple more weeks, probably, for sure. Hey, <laughs> listen, a couple weeks, nigga. Months out, we can get a million dollar scheme popping. I'm going to edit this part out. I probably won't say nothing. <laughs> now, right. now you tell everybody to listen. They about to run up. Uh, they about to start selling <laughs> leggings. No inbox or DMs from Chris DJ or Pamela. <laughs> oh, Doc Duff said they were going to start selling Herbalife. No, no, no. <laughs> right. <laughs>